welcome to season three of the Chai Break podcast. We're excited to engage in more inspiring chaiversations around our cross-cultural experiences. This season, we're diving deep into an often gray area and a taboo in our culture, mental health and well-being. So join us on our mission to break the barriers and get comfortable in those often uncomfortable spaces. Hello, welcome back to the Chai Break Podcast. This is part two of our Chaiversation around normalizing therapy. So if you haven't already, this is your gentle nudge to listen to episode one, where we laid out the foundation for how this season of the podcast is going to shape up, our personal mental health journey, and so much more. In today's episode, we wanted to talk about South Asian mental health statistics, barriers and access to mental health, and organizations that are doing the groundwork around creating a database of mental health professionals that is made available to the community. Across the course of their lifetimes, Shweta, and we've been reading about this, right? That at least one in five South Asians report a mood or anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And the actual rate is actually kind of alarming. Um, they might be even much more higher, thanks now to a lot of self-reporting and lack of identification of key symptoms of these mental health conditions. That is actually very true because, you know, I think uh, South Asians as a population, because of the stigma, because of the taboo that has surrounded it for so long, and only now in the last, say, five years, 10 years, people are actually, you know, talking about mental health in the open. Yeah. Um, if you go back to research and from what I've been reading is that, the data is really lacking. I feel like what data shows and versus the reality is almost double because of this. Yeah. Uh, not only are they not reaching out to therapists for just a regular therapy session, but also in terms of being diagnosed. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, we were talking to an expert recently, you know, and uh, that was one of the uh, the outcomes of that. He kind of had the understanding that not only people hesitate to go to a therapist, But once they get a diagnosis saying that, oh, you have depression or you have anxiety, those terms scare people. So they don't want to go, don't want to get that diagnosis. And uh, there's just a lot of hesitation around that. Yeah, I think this taboo still exists, right? Especially in the South Asian community, because once the news world goes out that you're seeing a therapist, still there are people who are who shy away from the concept of actually seeking someone for mental health, which means that they are not mentally stable, which means that they are quote-unquote mad mm-hmm. or quote-unquote mental. Remember, mm-hmm. we talked about it the last mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So I think that prevents people from actually seeking help. It doesn't have to be something more severe, uh, mental health disorder, but we've been talking about even just regular talking sessions. You know, these days, just having, a, you know, kind of a therapy session just to go and just discuss some issue and, you know, something that's been bothering, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's still a therapy session, but that's still a taboo, you know, just normal therapy sessions like these. True, so true, true. anyway, apart from the cultural taboo surrounding mental health, specifically in the U.S., there's another big factor, right, that hinders our community. And that is always the cost that is so of these true. sessions. So true. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the uh, interesting statistics that I came across was that 34.1% of South Asian Americans seek clinical treatment mm-hmm. in comparison to 41% of the general population. Yeah. So, you know, you can see the disparities that the numbers that we see always don't tell the full story. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I still feel that divide is much larger, although the statistics say it's 34.1% to 41%. Definitely, yes. No, and I think this was more around in the US because a recent poll by an organization called Brown Girl Therapy mm-hmm. found that nearly half of the 23,000 something participants expressed that cost was their primary barrier, yeah. you know, in seeking therapy. Yeah, even, even like during my early years when I was trying to, um, you know, understand, get a more good, the as self-awareness was growing and I was trying to understand why, you know, I'm reacting to things and not responding to things, some things and why, you know, kind of start questioning life. I did start seeking therapy, but one of the barriers for me was cost as well Definitely. and convenience, right? Trying to get up and go to a therapist office among the chaotic work life, mm-hmm. you know, we have. Mm-hmm. And the second is, uh, you know, trying to find that good therapist, which we really build a relationship. But every week we would like to go and see the him or her. Because that is the commitment, you know, it's that is commitment. required. Yeah, yeah, but it's expensive. Yeah. It's really expensive. It Depending is. on how it experienced is. your therapist is, it can go anywhere from you know, starting at a hundred dollars all the way to I think three fifty, four hundred, five hundred. I'm sure people are paying even more. Yes. Depending on who they're seeking therapy. And I have a little story about that later. I will talk about it. No, yeah, no, definitely with cost. I mean, I recently I just started therapy this year mm-hmm. for the first time ever, January of this year. And I had been looking for like six months. It it's literally a process of like jumping through all kinds of hoops because it's either you like the person. And the cost is too much Mm -hmm. or the cost is okay. And you somehow, you know, the therapist is not of a match Mm -hmm. because I also feel like with us South Asians, like, you know, South Asians in general and specifically for me, I needed a South Asian and I needed her, this person to be a woman because that's what I was most comfortable with, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I remember finding a couple of them and they actually, their cost was $250 and it was not covered under any insurance. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was no option. And I was like, if I'm going to come to you four times a month, I don't think that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. You know, let's be real. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, um, that aspect cost is such a big issue in the United States, especially. Mm -hmm. Uh, But actually, I was very, uh, you know, happy that I found an organization finally that I was able to work with. And I'm sure there are several of them. Mm-hmm. It's called KIPP, if anyone's looking, because they have a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. So they have a sliding scale and they have people of, you know, uh, different levels of expertise. And you get to actually read their entire profile, get to know all the work that they have done, the kind of communities they've worked with, ethnicities they've worked with, their own background and the areas that they specialize in. And uh, this gave me, uh, you know, a great starting point because actually I could sift through like, okay, I need a South Asian and I this is what I want to deal with. This is what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And here are the experts. And, you know, and I was able to work with them and they were, they actually accepted my insurance. So all of those factors kind of just like fell in place. The puzzle kind of came together. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is very difficult for that to happen. I mean, it took me almost seven months to reach that stage. No, I can totally, I can totally understand because I think my journey has been pretty similar as well because I think one of the uh, factors that caused me to drop out of, you know, consistent sessions is the cost. It was, first of all, just hard to find a good therapist within the area you were living. It probably was like a few miles away. Mm. So commuting back and forth. And at the time, this is like, I'm talking a few years ago, we didn't still didn't have the Zoom sessions. Exactly. This is pre-COVID you're talking about. This then. is pre-COVID. Oh my and gosh, so yeah. time factor was a big thing. And mm-hmm. the second was the cost. $350 every session, every month. It didn't 
um, seem like it didn't seem appetizing. Yeah. And and I think post COVID has changed a lot because once there are these remote sessions and Definitely. tele sessions, I think yeah. uh, the scope of uh, therapists and uh, the access to therapy sessions have really expanded mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. thereby also cutting the cost factor quite a bit. And uh, like you mentioned, there are a few organizations that we can probably put it in our show notes that accept insurance and maybe there is some little copay that you may have to pay. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but you know, the question comes as to, isn't, isn't this whole fundamental access to mental health just, you know, the lack of access to mental health, even for people who, are, who can afford it? You know, when you talk about $350, $250, it's still affordable for some folks, mm-hmm. but it's not affordable for a lot of folks, right? For the majority of them. For yes. the majority of them. I mean, isn't there something fundamentally wrong? I mean, irrespective of whether this is South Asian yes. or American, 100%. it doesn't really matter. But access to mental health, especially in this age of, um, you know, social media, in this uh, digital age where this people... This post-COVID to, age, you know? Post-COVID age. Yeah. Where people are just love to text versus uh, picking up the phone or meeting in person and talking. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there, just uh, being vulnerable is seen as some kind of, uh, you know, uh, not a cool thing. You know, so, and kids, so many kids are now, we're, we're seeing mental health affect children, mm-hmm. teens. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of peer pressure um, into being a certain way, doing certain things. So isn't that a fundamental problem that we do not have access to mental health, which is almost, in my opinion, so basic, mm-hmm. like a primary health care checkup. Mm-hmm. You check your body, you're wondering whether, you know, you're, you're taking care of your health with a PCP. But what about the mental health? There should be a PCP for that as well, right? Mm. I mean... It just doesn't make sense that the access is still limited, even though it's getting better, that nobody's really thinking about making this a priority. That is so, so true, because I feel like, uh, especially like, you know, having lived in America for like, you know, almost two decades, you've lived here, I've lived here, you know, over a decade. And I think the country is still coming to grips with even just giving every single individual basic access to physical health care, you know, just not even the mental health aspect, physical health care, and just having access to that. So we have like ways to go. But like you said, you know, the lack of access is a real, real problem in mm-hmm. terms of the insurance part of it. Yeah. But in terms of having access to South Asian therapists that cater to our diaspora audience, you know, um, there are a lot of organizations that have come up with creating repositories yeah. of professionals. Mm-hmm. One of them being South Asian therapists. They're a counseling directory network. So if you go onto their website, you can find a whole list of therapists and counselors and all of their credentials and you can you know get in touch with them mm-hmm. another one is brown girl therapy which we just mentioned a fairly new mental health and wellness community who also cater to the south asian community mm-hmm. another one is south asian mental health initiative and network and they're building an entire infrastructure for mental health care for the south asian diaspora nice. now in continuing this conversation you know one of the things is that in today's our current scenario as we're grappling with a, you know a huge unprecedented humanitarian crisis that has been 
uh, right now in real time right. as we speak happening in Palestine. Right. Um, the organization that I just mentioned, Brown Girl Therapy, is actually hosting three free peer support sessions, which is all online, accessible to everyone mm-hmm. on November 16th and on November 30th. People like us, you and me, who've been talking about this and, you know, who've been sharing our own mental health struggles through these past three, four weeks mm-hmm. and like, oh, when do we create content? What do we put out there? We're trying to be so conscious mm-hmm. about all of this. So the aim of this is actually to bring people together, to talk, to share, to grieve and to come together and be like, you know, how each of us are feeling. Right. To feel you're not alone. Exactly. Right. Because I don't think our generation has ever dealt with something like this. Mm -hmm. You know, COVID was something that brought the whole world together. And I think after that, this uh, humanitarian tragedy that is unfolding is, has everyone, you know, kind of like reading up on history, seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, who to support, like what they're reading up there. But all of this information is like, a it feels like an avalanche. Mm -hmm. You know, you're expected to like, just get up to speed with all of that is happening. And that can be a lot mentally, and it can be very triggering, you know, especially with so much loss of life, you know, uh, people are relating it to their own losses. And it can be really a very difficult time. So I think this is such a great initiative. For all our listeners, please check out Brown Girl Therapy. They're on Instagram. And all you need to do is just register on their website. Uh, The link will be sent to you. And there are two more sessions, November 16th and November 30th. So, yeah, I feel like everyone should take advantage of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just kind of stepping back, it's it's just the beginning here. And I'm so happy that there's a lot of... uh, kind of, we you know, this almost like a wake-up call for the South Asian community to really look into the aspects of mental health and make it more, you know, accessible, normalize it. And it's, we are just, we're just one little, you know, group of people just having a conversation, but this conversation should just spread. And mm-hmm. we need to hear more and more people talking about it, talking in families, talking in communities and raising this awareness. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you can change the mindset of one person for the better, for the positive, that just has such a great ripple effect. And it just affects more and more people that he or she comes across. And that's just such an amazing thing. It just improves our community and which is what we need at this time. So um, some things that have in the, on those same lines, I feel there are some amazing uh, books that I've been able to read. And that's what kind of uh, catapulted my whole mental health journey as well, trying to identify some of the things that happened in my life and seeing my pattern and how I react to situations and trying to recognize where that stems from. So I kind of went into this journey myself before really getting more serious about therapy as such. And um, one of the books that really helped me, and that was a more recent discovery, was by Stephanie Fu. And I think I must have mentioned it Mm -hmm, to you mm -hmm, during one of our uh, regular chats. Mm -hmm. It's called What My Bones Know. And Stephanie Fu, um, she's a she is a New Yorker reporter, I think, journalist. She's a journalist by profession. And she grew up in the Bay Area. And, you know, she grew up in a, a Malaysian Chinese upbringing. Mm. And she talks a lot about her childhood trauma growing up. Some really serious childhood trauma there. 
and um, how she uh, kind of coped up with it. Mm -hmm. And then how she realized actually something was off Mm. um, and how she sought therapy and how it changed the world. Uh, That got me to really thinking more that therapy is something that would affect the life in a positive way. Mm. Until then, it was a few sessions here, a few sessions there, but that kind of sealed the deal for me a little bit more. That's amazing. So I highly recommend everyone to take a look at it, especially if you are dealing with something that's far more severe childhood trauma, because her story is pretty graphic Mm. when you read her book. Um, The other book is by Pete Walker. And one of the terms that I got to identify (laughs) <laughs> probably with myself, this is self-diagnosis again, um, is complex PTSD, mm. uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. We all must have heard about PTSD, like yeah. you know, in a in a military or an army, um, you know, if a comrade sees their troops just um, being killed and, you know, that's a shock right there. That's a trauma, mm. it's, which takes years for people to recover. So that's your PTSD. That's acute PTSD, seeing a particular event, getting devastated by it and having a mental uh, breakdown from it. Mm. Uh, but complex PTSD is like, imagine that in like micro doses over a period of years due to many different um, incidents that happened. So that's complex PTSD, which I did not know about until I read Stephanie Fu's book. So once I read her book, I just went into diving into understanding more about complex PTSD, which is what I think most people um, in the mental health space probably are dealing with in some way or the other. Mm-hmm. Because imagine it's like we're growing up in a household that looks fairly normal. But there are these little, little acts that happen that just affects us mentally in micro doses, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be truly violent, truly graphic, but in micro doses of something that just affects our psyche. Yeah. Um, and that's what complex PTSD is all about. And that changes the way you think, the mindset, um, you know, the outlook in not so positive ways. So mm-hmm. that's where I started going into that particular concept, saying, hey, maybe do I have complex PTSD? Let's see. And one of the books that, came, that I came across to really, um, really understand this was Pete Walker's Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. Mm. And a third book that I highly recommend the audience is Transforming Trauma. The Path to Hope and Healing by Mm. James Gordon. And James Gordon is a world-renowned leader in um, mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, he's done tremendous work in this field. And it's a book that I found completely enjoyable. Mm. So, yeah, so those are some books um, that helped me. Yeah. At least helped me to get into therapy sessions more regularly. And I found great benefit from that. Um, And I think this will definitely help a lot of people. And Therapy is not because, you know, you don't have to have a huge meltdown or you don't have to have a um, any life changing event or event anything. or anything. Yeah. Therapy could be a difficult relationship with a coworker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Therapy could be a, regarding a difficult uh, time with spouse, mm-hmm. with parenting, with child, yes. where I think many a times we're just automatically patterned to react yes. and we're not stopped become self-aware and respond to a situation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then a series of that pattern just changes life course and then we're always repeating what we know and then wondering why things haven't changed around us that is so true so sometimes therapy just helps get that perspective yeah. and make that change yeah 
Um, and so I guess uh, that's why we are still talking about it. No, that that's really amazing. And I think what I really want to highlight quickly here is the fact that everyone's journey to actually seeking help, I think we mentioned this in our episode one as well, is so different, you know, because you went the route of like, saying that, oh, maybe something is wrong. And then, you know, you found these books and, you know, you were like, okay, so now I'm identifying, this is what it is. These are my patterns. And now how do I break it? And then you sought therapy. For me, it was my journey with mindfulness and, you know, just trying to like see, okay, these are my triggers. These are my patterns, but I don't know how to break out of it, but I need to talk to someone, right? you know, um, and that was my journey. So I feel like everyone's journey is so unique. And even like we always say, if our conversations, our chivalizations can even impact and help one person, mm-hmm. I think our job is done. Yeah. So yeah, on that note, that's it for us in this episode. And you do not want to miss our upcoming episode three, where we'll be interviewing a mental health professional, an expert in her field who comes with a wealth of cross-cultural counseling experience, both abroad and in India. And we're going to get a very very fresh perspective from her and uh, we cannot wait we don't want to reveal too much just yet but we cannot wait we cannot wait it's going to be an amazing episode awesome until then goodbye from us folks take care and take care of your mental health yes (laughs) (laughs) all right bye bye thank you so much for tuning in we hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did. Please let us know what you think. It means the world to us. Yes, and join the conversation on our social media channels where we discuss the many facets of mental health and well-being and share our collective thoughts. If there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, write to us at chibreakpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on our Instagram account. <laughs>